Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Shana Shawarski knew the drill. Friends would ask her questions about an upcoming trip and a lengthy WhatsApp exchange would follow. She knew there had to be a better way to share ideas and create friendships across the globe. Shana founded Legends, a private community of global travelers inspired by each other's experiences that seeks to put the traveler first. Here to talk about her story, Legends growth, and how she balances her life is Shana Shawarski. Shana, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. So um, I would love for you to uh, tell me and our listeners a little bit about your background first and kind of what got you to this point right here in life. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think it's a great question. So I think when I, when I look back at my background, I, I tend to look back at my childhood and uh, I would spend hours, if not nights, uh, building 1,500 to 1,000 piece puzzles. And I would try to figure out how quickly I could build them. Uh, and I wanted to complete them all in one night and I loved it. I would sit in my, my basement and just build them. And then I would frame them and I would give them to people as gifts. And so, uh, why I look back on that is thinking about really what I love. I love to solve problems. I love to look at trends. I love to look at, um, I love to look at commonalities or patterns, um, and be able to say, okay, this is not just a one-off thing, but this is a pattern that is happening. And how do we solve a problem around that? And how do we create solutions around that? And so um, I went to university and studied. Um, I also was very connected to the nature and to um, being outside as a, as a kid. And so I ended up studying sustainability and environmental sciences with business in college. And I really wanted to do something in that space. But at the time, no one was really doing anything transformative in, in the energy uh, world yet. There were some consulting agencies that were doing stuff, but not to, to the place of where it is now. So um, I figured going to a consulting uh, company out of college and uh, being able to you know, take my problem solving skills, but also get exposure to energy projects as well as um, financial projects being in New York um, would uh, solve some of the things that maybe I enjoyed as a child. Um, and what I quickly learned, um, in that process was I, you know, being in New York, I got put on a lot of technology bank projects and I learned <laughs> corporate world and finance uh, was not the route for me, extremely structured, extremely process driven, very little innovation. Like it is the process because it's the process. But what I learned is I still love solving problems and consulting was something, um, that really brought that out in me. And so I got the opportunity to, um, in New York, when the startup scene was just kind of getting uh, started, um, started at an early stage Series A uh, startup uh, to help build, you know, a company and a product and 
the go-to-market team. Um, and so for the last 10 years, um, uh, you know, it was the first company when I, when I you know, went to that startup where I actually was excited to wake up to work the next day. And I think looking at my parents and looking at their generation and, and seeing how they looked at a job as, you know, stability and this ladder that you had to climb, but every day they weren't excited by the things that they did, right? They were excited to provide for their family, but not solve the problems um, was something that I wanted to wake up and do every day. And so for me, that is what building, you know, a company is and, and building um, a startup and entrepreneurs. And so that led me down a path of two, two startups um, that I worked at for the last 10 years and, and ultimately said, you know, you learn a lot. I, I, I want to do this. Uh, related to something I'm passionate about. And so now with Legends, I'm bringing in that sustainability energy aspect of the earth and the environment and, and travel and exploration, which has been in my DNA from a child of exploring uh, with the mix of my experience in tech. Um, and so I think if you would have told me this is where I'd end up <laughs> as a child, uh, I probably wouldn't know, but it makes total sense when I look back at it. Yeah. So, um, okay. So in that kind of landscape, it sounds like there wasn't any kind of entrepreneurship in the family. Um, are you the first in the family? Like how, when, what was your first entrepreneurial experience? Was it doing these startups or did you do something as a kid that now looking back on it, like, oh, I was an entrepreneur and didn't even realize it. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think I, uh, if there was in, in my, you know, I look back at even, you know, from a kid to uh, in college, like if there was a product that I really was passionate about, I would be the promoter to all of my friends, right? Like I would find because I think of this ability to see trends before other people. Um, and I do think bring it back to like the puzzles and, and just my ability to observe things. Um, I can, one of my, I think superpowers is I can observe things really strategically and then come really tactically and then go back to strategic and then tactical. And I think I can go big picture, um, really easily. And I think that I was always an entrepreneur, right? I was always trying to make things better, was trying to see things differently, was very curious as a child, like, why does it have to be this way? Like, what if we thought about it this way, right? And so from an entrepreneur perspective of um, looking at something and saying, how do we improve it? Or how do we make it better for the people who use it? Um, I think that was always something within me. But yeah, my parents were you know, first generation college themselves on both sides. And my father definitely has an entrepreneurial background, but he chose a very safe career as a, you know, financial controller of a titanium company. So could not be more safe, but really stable for him to, you know, send me and my brother to college and provide for us and, and you know, have a, a stable life that he didn't have. And my mom was actually um, at 17, decided to be a woman engineer. Uh, in the healthcare space. And so I think she was a pioneer in the sense of, you know, not many women were going to, you know, coding school at the time that she was, especially in the healthcare space. And she's worked for McKesson as an engineer for 45 years now, uh, running teams and developers. And so, um, but my dad had ideas and he was creative and he thought of businesses growing up. And before I went to college, he actually gave me the the option and said, do you want to uh, I will pay for your college or I will actually give you that money and you can start your own business. Um, and I didn't understand the choice. And so of course I chose college because all my friends were doing that and I didn't know what I would have started. 
but now looking back at it, I'm like, wow, I like, you know, if that was today, I would have taken the money and built something. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that is fascinating. I don't think I've heard of many parents, um, giving their kids that kind of choice. Um, that is now, even though you didn't take the choice and, yeah. and you still went the regular path, it, it's still a gift, right? Because, yep. um, it, it kind of affects the way you think about things in the future and, and, and the people that you deal with. Um, so that, that's fascinating. And by the way, I often say, um, you know, people talk about taking a job as the safe choice. Um, I think that what we do as entrepreneurs is the safe choice because we go to work every day and nobody can fire us except ourselves. And these people that take jobs with companies, man, they are so, they're so courageous because mm -hmm. they're taking jobs and they're not in control of when they might lose their job. So, you know, I, I kind of twist that, um, that idea a little bit. Um, so I think your parents are actually the courageous ones. Uh, we're, we're taking the, the easy way out and just starting, starting up companies. So, um, so let's, let's dive into legends. Um, what made you decide that you wanted to do a travel company? I, I, first of mm -hmm. all, I will tell you, mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by this. I've been looking at travel apps lately, uh, quite a bit because mm -hmm. as things are starting to open up and we're traveling more, um, I'm trying to understand yeah. kind of what apps are out there. So I, I really am super excited about what you're building. So, but what, you know, I know you yeah. said that, you know, as a kid, you wanted to be outdoors and all that, but mm -hmm. what really made you want to say like, yeah, I, I really want to do this, you know, for the next eight, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I met my co-founder about six years ago. Um, she is, uh, Stephanie Daniels. She is British. She's also from, you know, grew up similarly to me, grew up in a small town, um, outside of London. And we both, uh, you know, met each other socially in New York and every time, we would would talk, you know, we were bound by this passion of exploration and travel. And both of us had been through a series of different um, things in life. And um, we kept coming back to this aspect that when you travel, you um, are put in situations and circumstances that really bring you back to yourself, right? You remove the barriers, they remove the bias, and you're presented with, you know, challenges and different situations that make you think about who are you. Um, and so often in life, we work for those moments to come back to ourselves for the week or the two weeks that we take trips, right? And um, uh, for us, like self-actualization and, and mutual evolution um, really comes from exploring the world and finding community of people around the world um, to, to help doing that. And so when we met on this shared kind of idea of how do we empower people to um, authentically connect with themselves, each other in the world, we said, what is our unique skill set as well that we have uh, that we can kind of harness here? And so with my background in tech and hers, she spent 15 years at, um, at Deutsche Bank uh, running, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar revenue teams on the executive team there. We said, what can we do in this space that hasn't been solved? And while we were traveling, we said, you know, it's it's uh, it's really strange in, in the 21st century, especially with all these apps that we have and we use every day, that there still isn't an app for travel that you use every day. And so when we looked at the travel landscape in the travel tech landscape, uh, we saw that everything that was built was built in this linear cycle of you plan, you, you dream, you plan, you book, and then you experience. And sharing is this afterthought that is done on social platforms like Instagram mm -hmm. and TikTok, but none of it feeds back to the ecosystem of the travel landscape. And the travel tech doesn't connect together either. And you look at all those 
categories of dreaming, planning, booking, there's hundreds of different sites. None of them integrate. None of it is socially validated. And also the process isn't linear, right? When you purchase fashion now on Instagram, you can go in and not even know you're looking for inspiration and end up buying something Um, because the inspiration is so well, there's social validation, but also maybe like it doesn't need to be that intentional. Um, And then when we looked in, and so we looked at the travel landscape, we looked at then the social landscape of social networks like Instagram and TikTok. And we said, and you look at Twitter and, and when you look at, why a new um, niche interactive community or a social um, a social network has evolved is because all of the ones that exist, the infrastructure of how they're built doesn't align for the category that is uh, not being served, right? And so in this sense, category is travel. And so you have a ton of demand for people wanting to share their travel experiences. Um, so you have a ton of people sharing, you know, put one moment in time post on Instagram of a beautiful um, picture of them, but not actually the hotel or restaurant they went to that then their friend yeah. can book. Um, yeah. And so we said, we believe there's a huge gap in the architecture of how these social tech companies are built that aren't set up for the travel journey of a user. And we said, what would it look like to actually put the user first? Um, incorporate Web3 principles of ownership, contribution, uh, value to the users, um, and layer in the travel kind of ecosystem and, and process. And so uh, for us, that excites us because us as travelers, that solves you know, a big pain point of coming back from a trip and someone saying, share recommendations to me. Or um, I was just talking to someone this morning who was saying they're going to you know, uh, Lisbon, uh, Paris, in London, and I have all these recommendations, and normally it would take me hours to sift through, okay, what was that restaurant I went to? Where did I stay from that hotel? And now imagine uh, all your photos that you take becoming instant recommendations for your friends. And that's what we're doing is we're removing the barrier to share and to um, create these experiences for other people, um, for the everyday person, and not the influencer who spends their career doing that um, or is trying to make money. And so I, so I, I absolutely love this, um, because I have experienced this myself. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, we do road trips, we do travel and and whatnot, and I end up putting together an itinerary in a text document. Um, and then I save that on Dropbox for the case when somebody asks like, Hey, when you did that Southwest trip, what did you go do? Uh, I can just give them the text document. Then it's kind of up to them to sift through it all and figure it all out. So the other part of what you're doing that I love is the social part of it where Mm -hmm. you, you know, that it's your friends that are making Mm -hmm. these recommendations. I think that one of the biggest struggles that everybody has is you go to these sites that are recommendation engines and you don't know if you can trust the recommendation, Mm -hmm. right? It's supposed to be crowdsourced, but now we know that there's so many bots and, and, and things that people do to game the the system and game the rankings and you've got it on Amazon, you've got it on all these sites, but if it's your friends, you know, like, look, I know Shana's telling me this. She's not going to steer me wrong. She's not like trying to get me to go to some place because she has a stake in that place. She's telling me because it's the right place to go. So I absolutely love that. Um, The challenge I think that you've got, and and you've obviously already think thought about this is like, how do you grow this? How do you scale this? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's why a lot of these sites have gotten it opened for everybody. So how do you penetrate this market and say like, hey, you and your friends need to all come on board to, to make this useful? 
Yeah, it's a great, uh, great question. And, you know, the cold start problem that everyone asks, uh, you know, how do you, how do you get the network? Right. I think there's, there's two things that we believe are true. One, um, content is not the issue. Like we, there's information overload on the industry. It's about how do you take data that is currently unusable. So even for our process, right? Like users have thousands of photos on their phone. Like there is location data on those photos that we automatically translate through our technology into a recommendation, right? And so thinking about the tech that you actually implement and how it visualizes and surfaces information that's actionable is one thing, right? Um, and so from a content perspective, I think uh, content is not the issue. And, and so when we think about how do we have coverage, right? We're not thinking about how do we, uh, you know, which a lot of companies in the travel space think of how do we have a bunch of agents or people adding content and keeping it updated and, and, um, and uh, managing that and, and, and it gets outdated, right? We say, how do we make the technology amazing? So our users, similar to Waze, right? Like our users are creating real-time content and data. And then how do we apply really interesting visualization on top of that? So in terms of the map, how do we show the data of your upcoming travels overlapped with your friends' upcoming travels? So planning doesn't have to be a full list of an itinerary. It can be a visual or it can be a push notification, right? There's and we're thinking about it as a game, right? Like it's not just um, one-time transaction, right? We're thinking about over the life cycle of how you want to interact daily. Like what is the information you want to be fed and how do you want to interact with it? And then the second thing from a, a user-based perspective, there's a lot of existing communities out there that um, uh, we can partner with. And so we're really focused initially on what we call the new nomad, right? And so for us, the new nomad is, you know, a, a adaptation of the digital nomad, right? The digital nomad, I think, has traditionally been seen as this person who is a backpacker who doesn't have any money, who is going from one place to the other. And the reality is there's over 40 different countries right now that offer uh, digital nomad visas for people who are in tech, who make more than, you know, anywhere from three to $5,000 uh, a month. And um, the population of entrepreneurs um, and of managers and now people in tech who are this new nomad is quite significant. And there's, you know, projections that by 2035, there will be a billion, you know, of these new nomads. And so we're looking at that person and we're saying not just specific to travel, but specific to communities, where do these people spend time, right? And so we look at it from a work perspective. So is it people who, you know, spend time at WeWorks, spend time at Selena Hotels, use certain kind of products to help themselves efficiently, you know, work remotely on the go. Where do they stay, right? Do they stay at Soho House? Do they stay at Selena? Do they stay at some of these communities that are um, focusing more on this remote population? Uh, what type of wellness stuff do they like? Um, and how do they think about their mental health, their spiritual health? And then also what's the impact organizations, right? And so we've laid out actually the, all these categories of, you know, an individual as, uh, you know, this new nomad and what does their day look like and what products are in their lives. And then we're creating partnerships with those people to, um, to create community together. And I think we are more powerful collectively, um, not only to make change, but also to help each other. And that's been our approach from the beginning is, um, 
not how do we do everything ourselves, but how do we do it with the community that we create? Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. Let's let's pivot a little bit mm-hmm. and and talk about you and why you decided to, to kind of take this leap. So um, in doing this, you you were already working at a startup uh, and then decided to go and do your uh, do your own startup essentially. Mm-hmm. When you were making this kind of transition, were you doing the new startup while you were still working, or did you make a clean cut and then start it kind of you know without any any safety net or anything? Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Uh... It's tough to to just do the straight cut without any, you know, safety net. And so my co-founder and I, we actually, you know, had a full year um, where both of us were were working and we were prototyping right in the beginning, even when we said, hey, let's do something, you know, and some of our friends who have known us for a while, they're like, Legends is like been, you know, the name Legends we've had for so long in our domain uh, because we said, hey, we're going to do something. And I think that's really where like t- just taking one step at a time really does matter and it all adds up. And so when we look back at where we started, um, one step might be just buying a domain. And for a year playing around with different ideas and we, you know, our first uh, was she was, you know, a very, um, a, a very important job at Deutsche Bank. I was working out so many hours, you know, at a startup. But, you know, evenings and weekends, we would meet and we would talk about legends and we'd have, you know, a glass of wine and we'd be like uh, sketching on, uh, you know, large pieces of paper, like different product ideas. And we got, we did a very small proof of concept um, on our first year and we tested it and we learned so much about working together and about, uh, you know, the, the teams that we wanted to use. And then um, last year around kind of March, did we fully say, okay, we're going to do this. And, um, I was still working full-time at my last company and, um, and I was responsible for, you know, 90% of the revenue right at my last company. And so it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't an easy job. Um, and I would, you know, schedule my seven to nine in the mornings where my legends call and like work during the day. And then you know, five to nine were, you know, my, my legends call. And so I was kind of bookending legends and I had a goal of, you know, a certain amount of financial, um, financial stability that I wanted to have to be able to make the jump, um, so that I could fully commit to, to us doing this. And and that kind of came in August of last year and both of us have been uh, full-time since. And so I think it's, um, it's, it's natural to, uh, start taking steps and seeing where that goes. And I think, you'll know when the time is right. You know, I was getting depleted at my other company. The energy that I was getting from it was distracting me rather than giving me energy. And I felt like I couldn't give my best energy to to legends. And so at that point, I said, you know, it's not worth us doing this if we both aren't giving our full energy. And what would it look like if we gave our full energy? So, okay, um, for that year then, you basically had two jobs, right? You yeah. were bookending your day with with legends. How did you deal with the stress, and and how did you manage that life life work balance? Like, how did you 
manage all of that stuff. I mean, one of the nice things is legends is about travel. So maybe mm -hmm. uh, life work balance can come as part of work, right? Because you get yeah. to travel and say that it's work, but it's really uh, enjoying yourself. But how did you manage that year and, and manage the stress of it all? Yeah, it's definitely stressful. Um, and I think it makes you reassess why are you doing this, right? And if you're doing it for money, if you're doing it for ego, if you're doing it because you want to be known for something like that'll wear down after a year. Um, and <laughs> I, it came back to, okay, we are doing this because we, we, we both fundamentally believe this problem needs to be solved and we feel, uh, extremely aligned to solving it. And I think, you know, a mentor had told me once, you know, you know, you need to build it when you think about it every day for a year. And like at, at the point of when I quit, we had thought about it for two years every day. And you know, you wake up and it's the first thing I think about. And it's the last thing I go to bed to. And um, I think that's when you know that through the tough times, because there are so many tough times in the beginning, um, you're going to get through it. Because if you can make it through those stressful situations, and I think it is a test to can you, can you make it through the tough times as an entrepreneur having two jobs, right? Um, because you're always understaffed and under-resourced and don't have enough money. Um, and so it also took me back to kind of what are my tools within myself that I can use to, you know, optimize my energy. And what I mean by optimize my energy is if my energy is not in my best state, then it affects the rest of the team, right? And it affects my co-founder and everyone else. And so what I think about every day is, uh, how do I feel my best for myself so that I can show up my best to other people and they can in turn do that. So like yoga, you know, meditation, just simply, you know, taking walks on calls sometimes like moving my body makes me feel, um, makes me feel balanced. And I think there's certain things that all of us have tools that we need to figure out that, you know, create our own balance and it's different for everyone. Yeah. So it, it sounds like your team is, is it mostly remote or is there any clustering of people anywhere? It's very remote. As you can imagine, we're very global. Um, we, so, you know, Steph and I get together every six weeks and we'll bring some of the team together. So we kind of have a role of, of that, but we've been remote from the start, um, especially, you know, during COVID while everything was going on. And so we, we don't really, we have a, a cluster of engineers in India. Our lead engineer is based in, in San Francisco. Um, but we, we truly are, um, we truly are kind of all over the place, which I think is nice. Um, and yeah. it provides for a also nice cultural dynamic as well. And we're testing in different markets and um, for what we're building, I think it makes, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, we haven't even touched upon the uh, the idea of uh, building a travel company during a pandemic when nobody <laughs> was traveling, but uh, we're going to leave that to the side. I, I want to talk about how do you think about motivating then and and making sure that a remote team, you know, people that you can't see every single day, how are you thinking about keeping them motivated and checking in with them? Like, are there things that you're doing to to keep that, uh, you know, going <laughs> in the right right direction? Yeah, I think it's um. It's something I think about all the time, operational efficiency or, you know, operational organization. Um, I think, you know, there is a, especially as a startup and in the beginning of, uh, of the stage, especially when it's your company, like there's this tendency to want to like over micromanage, right? Because, um, because you want control of how everything is happening. But I think that 
um, disguises the that disguises the gaps that you have sometimes. And so um, I think you have to be willing that you have to be willing for things not to be perfect and for things to fail, but quickly iterate and, and solve them. Um, and so we, you know, obviously use, you know, certain communication tools like Slack um, and different project management tools like monday.com. And those have helped us like create consistent kind of weekly organization structures. Um, but it is, um, I think, you know, it's, it's something that I, I wouldn't say it's perfect. Right. And that we are constantly optimizing for, and I think why it's, it's interesting, you know, from a remote perspective, I think there's a lot of policies and procedures you can put in place to say, Hey, this is how we communicate or this is how we do that. And what a lot of people don't realize is everyone has a, um, already kind of inherited like a uh, way of communicating that they come into a situation. And if we don't first stop to say, how does this person perceive information, receive information? Um, and then how do they take action on it and create something around that? Then um, we're just trying to fit everyone into one box. And so what we've tried to do is really uncover across the team, like how do we need to communicate to this person um, to make them feel heard, to make them feel supported, to make them feel like they can take action without us. Um, and that's something that has to be intentional. And I think in the beginning is, is really one-to-one. And so that's worked really well for us is not looking at everyone the same and saying, okay, this person is this style. How do we then put support around them? That is a different style. Um, and how do we make our expectations that this person is really amazing at this, but might not be great at this. And, in um, managing the team that way. I, yeah, I love that. Um, what you said reminded me of every time I go to the doctor, and I don't know why they ask me this mm -hmm. every single time. They ask you, do you learn better by seeing mm -hmm. seeing something, doing something or something? I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a test every time because I feel like I, I end up picking the wrong, you know, like the different thing every single time. And they're yeah. probably wondering like, why does this guy keep changing uh, the, the way he learns? I don't know. Um, okay. I, since I've got you on the podcast, mm -hmm. there's one question I've been burning to you know, like ask you this whole time, uh, because you are obviously a, a travel junkie. If there was just one place that you could visit or vacation in, where would that be? And why I'm trying mm -hmm. to give our listeners like a, a little yeah. tip here before they even use the app. Like you're, you're now oh. all of our travel friend. Like what's that one place that we should go? Oh my gosh. It's so hard. Um, I, I really would love to go to Namibia. Um, there's these, uh, like sand dunes with these old, uh, shipwreck hotels, um, uh -huh. that are supposed to be amazing. I just haven't explored that part of the world yet. So that's definitely on my list. Um, if I would say it's someplace I have been that I think is really fascinating is Malta that no one talks about. Um, and Malta is this, you know, really interesting mix between, you know, Africa and the Mediterranean, um, cause it's yeah. so close to both, but also, right. you know, you've got Sicily right above as well. Yeah. And, um, the geography there is just really interesting and weird at the same time, but also so much history has happened in Malta. And so a lot of the bases for, uh, wars in the past. And so they have these really beautiful churches, really beautiful towns but no one's really in it. So you can walk through these villages that have so much history and beautiful architecture. 
Um, but then also you can do scuba diving there and rock climbing. And um, yeah, it's, it's one of the most um, unique uh, little islands and, and places that I've been to um, that I think it never really shows up on people's radar. Um, so well, I got, I got to say Malta was not on my list of places yeah. to go, but now it is. And Namibia, I didn't even know about shipwreck yeah. hotel. So, yeah. um, that's definitely going to be on the list too. Um, Shana, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, we all now at least have a couple of places that we, we need to now visit in the world. Um, but, uh, our listeners can find you at, uh, live like legends. Is that right? Live my legend. Live my legend. Sorry, Please. live my legend dot com, uh, and check out the app and uh, travel the world and share your experiences with friends. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find me on Twitter at, at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparikh.com. 